Okay, so we're back in Ecclesiastes, and it's been a few weeks, which means there's a big chunk of text. I am not going to read all of the text, but just so you know, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8, all the way through chapter 7 to 29. So, for our purposes, if you want to go ahead and pull out the Red Pew Bible and look at page 555, I will be reading Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 17. The word of the Lord. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. For his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. The word of the Lord. Welcome to Regeneration. And uh, yes, we are back in our study of Ecclesiastes. I think the uh, break from this series was welcomed by some of you because during the Easter service there were these sighs of relief that we weren't doing uh, Ecclesiastes and it hurt my feelings. Um, I've also heard from a number of you uh, during these last three weeks when we weren't studying in Ecclesiastes that you were missing it and that you wanted to head back into this series. Um, this is going to be a little bit different because um, usually we venture into a passage and we go a little deeper. Here we're doing a flyby over three verses so, or three chapters, so it's going to be um, a, a little bit more general in nature as opposed to specific and focused. Um, so Steve wonderfully shared um, in the past couple of weeks about discipleship, and at that point we got to listen to Billy's um, really, really awesome, transforming testimony uh, of what God did in his life. And if you've missed that, he's sitting right there, and his wife was leading worship there. You can talk to him about it. He'd love to chat with you about those things. Um, so if any of you have ever questioned if God is real or if God can change someone's life, I, I think you really do need to chat with him, and, and you'll see the evidence of that. So here we are back in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to trying to be playing a little bit of catch-up from the last uh, three weeks of not being here, so we're going to take a look at three chapters. And just a brief overview or review for those who are just kind of coming in here for the first time. Ecclesiastes is written by preacher, uh, who we've been calling Koheleth this whole time, um, and the author takes us down all of these different paths to try to seek out what the meaning of life is. And he's taken us all over the place, and he's tried everything to bring satisfaction to himself, to bring joy to himself, to find meaning for himself. And every single place that he has gone, everything that he has tried, 
has not given him what he has hoped for. That they're all ultimately leading him to meaninglessness. So what we see here as vanity in our ESV versions of the Bible. And so what he thinks will give him meaning, he tries that out. And then he just eventually comes up empty by trying those things out. And so we know Kohelet's thesis right away because he tells us what it is in chapter 1, verse 2. It reads, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now, while on this search for meaning, it does seem that God is kind of patiently waiting for Koheleth to realize that God's right there. And it's as if Koheleth knows that God is nearby, but then chooses everything else, tries, to, tries everything else in this attempt to find meaning. And maybe that's some people that we know. There are people who have an issue in using the term God, so let's just call God higher power. And yet there are people who don't want to acknowledge the existence of God, but they do acknowledge that there is something or that there is someone around that is doing something greater. But then rather turning to that so-called higher power, They'll try everything else to try to answer their own questions or to find joy or to find meaning. And they'll try all these different things. And yet life is really interesting in this way. Just when we think that we've carved out a path that is going to work for us and things are working out just great and when things are kind of like lining up, it doesn't. And so you hear of that bad health report you have issues in a relationship that you're in. There are problems that arise at work. Financially, things aren't working out as you thought that they would. And there are always these things that are completely out of our control and that entering into this world, we enter into this hamster wheel that we can never get off of. Now, one of these matters to take a look at for us this morning is the issue of money. It's something that all of us can relate to. Money is a very important matter to talk about, especially here where we live. A lot of people deem success when uh, looking at money in the Bay Area, that they would deem you successful if you had it. Now, some of you may be different in that, yeah, I, I'm not defined my success is not defined by money, nor are the circles that I run in. They are not defined by money. You are probably in a minority. Most people do believe that around this area. And so maybe that's the case. But you at least understand that people do view success in this lens, being that this is the biggest biotech technology hub of the world, that you understand that people do acknowledge that this is the place to go to for that type of success. So generally speaking, money does define status, position, success around here. Now let's take a look at the first two verses, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields." Now, what verses 8 and 9 are essentially saying is that, you know, wherever you see money, you are also going to see injustice. 
And that shouldn't be a surprise to us at all because you look at all over the world and you will see this inequity all over our world. That the injustice toward the poor is this fact of life. The, the people in the penthouse always get the preferential treatment over the people on the street. And this is the case all over the world where the poor aren't given the same justice as those who are more privileged. And here's the odd thing. Just because you are on the penthouse and you do have more does not mean that you're satisfied. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also is a vanity. Why is this? Well, it's, it's, it's this appetite that you can never satisfy. It can never be satiated because it can never be enough. It's the same with any other addiction that anyone struggles with. And that you have this substance, you take this thing in, and, and you have to just keep increasing the quantity of what you're taking in to gratify yourself, because that lesser amount won't give you that high anymore. So you have to increase that amount. And then it's only a matter of time before that emptiness hits again, even though you feel really, really great for a moment, but then comes the time, all right, I, I need it again. I need to fill it again. And then you go back to having more. It's the same thing. Now, money itself is just matter. It, it, in that state, it's this harmless thing. It's a piece of paper. It's a piece of metal. The issue is when someone loves it. The love of money. And that, that material thing becomes immaterial. That, that regular, tangible, natural thing becomes a supernatural thing and that it has become an idol. And it has possessed and grabbed someone's heart. And it is controlling them to do things that they probably don't usually do. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? We see this all the time. And you'll see this whenever you're watching television or something. Where somebody who has a lot of money also has a huge entourage around them especially at a club for some reason, but that's kind of like, a, I don't know why. But. And those people never pay their own way. They're just kind of like there, right? And so you, you see these guys with all around them, and then they go back to their house, and then they eat their food, and they drink their drinks. And, and, you, and when people find out that you have money, then here comes all these other calls from like long-lost family, long-lost friends that that you've never heard from ever. And then suddenly you get this call, hey, I got this awesome business idea. Can you invest in this or whatever it is? Also, the, the more one has, you'll notice that they want to protect it. And so not only is this this freeloading entourage around them, there's actually staff around them. This is like a security staff. And when you have more stuff, you need people to take care of that stuff. So they hire people to maintain that stuff and operate that stuff. And so the more one has, the more people that are needed to care for everything. And so this entire staff to care for stuff, comes up with all, this, all the things that you have. And then you have to keep up those appearances so that if you once had a security detail, you can't just go show up at a friend's house without it anymore because then they'd be wondering, hey, what happened? Can't afford it anymore? Like, was it a hard time? You, you have to keep up images. And so you just have to have them. Do you really need entire entourages to pump gas? Or to get coffee? 
Right? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Y you can't sleep anymore because you're just worried about money and that how am I going to keep what I have and how am I going to get more of it? And yet you can afford to eat all you want, but you lay awake unable to fall asleep. You know, the most common causes of chronic insomnia are anxiety, stress, and depression. And I wonder how much of that is tied to this love of money. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. That term again. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. This is just the unpredictability of living this way. That nothing in life is guaranteed. There's no guarantees with money. Just because one has it doesn't mean that it's necessarily helpful. I mean, how many people have you met where the money is actually harmful to them? The drug issues that they get into, the crowds that they run into, the isolation from loved ones. And we've all heard of pro athletes who have lost all their money because of bad business deals. And there are those who thought that they were going to be set for life because their parents had money, and then they find out it's gone. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? You and I came into earth with nothing. We leave with nothing. So what's the point of all the hard work? That's essentially what it's saying, right? Like, that if it's meaningless, if it's pointless, then why are you working so hard? Why are you, like, stressing so much? What good is stuff is uh, when you're just accumulating all these things just to, like, leave it? And it's gone. Now, moving into chapter 6 is this whole idea of insignificance and the meaningless of life. We're going to skip most of this, um, and most of you are probably like, thank God, like I can't believe he's, I thought this was not verse by verse. We're going to skip all the way down to chapter 6, verse 10. And you can read those other things on your own that talk about insignificance. But in chapter 6, verse 10, whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage of man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man that what will be after him under the sun? And again, that phrase, under the sun. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what that phrase is, it's really a code word for leaving God out. So that whenever you come under that phrase, under the sun, you can substitute it with leaving God out. For who can tell man what will be after him? without God, leaving God out. So we have this picture of meaninglessness in chapter 6 that you can read for yourself. And then coming into these three verses that we're looking at here are these thoughts and questions about what can be known or what can't be known. So who knows? And say there is someone that does know, that they do know the answers to these things. Then there's a second question to that. You know, but who cares? I don't even care that you know. So under the sun, living 
without God, leaving God out of it, who can really answer life's deeper questions? And even if that person can answer those questions, we do all realize that it's all temporary because naked I came, naked I go. So who cares if you know? And if we can't answer the question about what the meaning of life is, then why are we even running this race of life that leads to nowhere? Why are we even here? So going into chapter 7, Kohelet just starts shooting these really insightful insights, right? Verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. Now, precious ointment could only be purchased by wealthy people, but it's something that can only last a few days, and then it just starts to fade away. Similarly, a good name also fades away, but at least it lasts longer. There's a legacy to that, in that it lasts generations, so that then that is more valuable than this expensive ointment because you have something that lasts longer, right? The legacy of a good name goes much longer. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. Is this not interesting? For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. This is such bad news. I don't get why he's writing it this way. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise man to hear the songs of fools. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Now this is going to take a little bit of countercultural thinking. Because if we just look at this, this actually does make sense. Because life is tough, and we know this. And we all know that we all do better knowing that there is a deadline, more so than we do at the starting line. I mean, isn't this true? That there's an urgency when we know that there's a deadline. So what, if it's, there's a project, or if there's some date for us to meet a uh, a deadline like taxes were due. Um, I don't know how many of you met that deadline. But there's this greater reality when things come to an end as opposed to just living inside of a good time not knowing when it ends. That there's a meaningless to, meaninglessness to that. That there's a better appreciation for the good times for your relationships when you know that they don't last forever. That your relationship with your significant other, with your family, with your friends, they mean that much more, that you learn that much more, that you experience that much more, that you appreciate that much more when you know that they end. And you also know that a little bit better after experiencing negative things. You know that you have a good relationship when you've experienced a string of bad ones. Right? You, you know that. And so we learn a lot from tough times. Something that I love about our church is um, these testimonies. And when we have people share their testimonies, those, those are real. We're, we're not sharing things that... Um, are staged or they're acting. They're, these are people's real stories that they've really gone through. And I think all the time, 
it's always stories of transformation that have happened at this church. It wasn't something that happened before they, it's, it happened here. And for them to share that, that brokenness and the darkness that they were in and the despair and the problems. And it's because all of us can relate to those things. You know, you have somebody here and they just share how great their life has been all their, their entire life. Life has been great and they've never had any problems whatsoever. And mom and dad with them all throughout the, their life and they were like spoon feeding them and paid for everything, their education, all this stuff. And then they're done. And then you're, what's your feeling about that afterwards? I feel so edified, right? Like, oh, that was great. I can't wait to hear more testimonies like that. That's not, that's not how it is. You, we want to hear about stories of transformation, how, how God touched somebody's life and totally changed their life. That those are the stories that really encourage us and they give us hope. But then, what does our world actually do? Sure, you turn on the news and it's all negative stuff, but then there, there's this really weird twist because you look at social media pages how many of you share, like, the bad news? One out of, like, you know? There's, it, it's just not how our world really does things. Or if you go to a magazine rack, and what do you look at? Beautiful people, fit people, fast things. Um, you know, there's just, like, newness. Like, you know, whether it's, like, jets or cars or boats, whatever. Like, it's all this pretty stuff. It's like perfection. It's like health and wealth and it's about feasting and laughter and gladness. And so you read verses 2 through 6 and you just see how countercultural it is. I mean, can you imagine a magazine rack with just like people crying and like <laughs> come read all these sad stories and like, you know, it's not like that. And then Koheleth goes into self-control. Verses 7 through 10. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness and a bribe corrupts the heart. Self-control about money, that bribery is not worth it because you, you, you're on the hook to pay someone back and then you don't have a clear conscience about what you did and then you have this worry about being found out and if you're found out, is your credibility gone and it's all this kind of stuff. It's just being, having a lack of self-control. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. So control your actions, control your speech, don't let them get ahead of you. Practice patience, control pride, control, self-control. Say not, why were the former days better than these, for it is not from wisdom that you ask this. You know, I, I don't know if you guys encounter these people that think about, like, the good old days. Oh, the good old days. I wish things can just go back to that time. I wish they'd just go back. And they were so much better than people were so much more pure. And they were so much more honest. They weren't. They were just better at hiding it. And so I, I had this friend of mine. And uh, he was, and the reason why this all even came about is we were talking about our our grandparents and, and what they used to like to watch on TV. And I was sharing how, like, my cousin's grandmother, her favorite show was Bonanza. And um, my grandfather's favorite shows were Westerns. 
And he actually liked like the Spanish or Mexican Westerns more so than like the American Westerns. And he liked those things better. And, um, and so we got talking to those sorts of things. And he was like, man, yeah, Westerns. I wish we can go back to days like that. It was just a lot more of an innocent time. <laughs> and then he was like, don't you wish that we could go back to times like that? And I was like looking at him. And I was like, for you, have you seen me? Like, those weren't good days for me or people like me. Like, <laughs> I, there's no way I'd want to go back there. Maybe if the setting was back in China or something like that, but not here. Like, I would not want to go back here. And um, I, I shared this story with the first service about how my in-laws, they love to do these um, vintage pictures you know where you get dressed up in the garb with the big top hat and like the fluffy dresses and all that kind of stuff the either like copper tone pictures or black and white pictures and that's at like disneyland and uh there's a place in columbia um near in sonora county near um pinecrest and twain Hart, that area and this is the most ironic thing is out there in, in columbia they have all the history of like China camp and all those sorts of things and you're reading through this stuff and then after reading through all this stuff she's like hey our family has a tradition of taking this picture I was like oh great yeah that's great that sounds great and so we're walking in and I'm like wait a minute I thought it was just a picture but I have to get dressed in all this stuff and like put this stuff in I'm I'm brand new to the family like I just got married to Katie and so I I I so reluctantly and inside my heart, I was just feeling, I was mad. But I went along with it anyway because I was like, oh, this is my new in-laws and great. Okay, let's do this. And so I took the picture and I just let it sit for a year and I didn't say anything. Well, we go back to Columbia next year because it's like this annual trip that they love to take. And they're like, yeah, let's get this picture. And I'm just like, something no, right? Like, do you realize, like, what this means? Like, you're putting me in this thing, like, pretending like everything's good. Anyway, I'm, uh, I need to get off my horse. Yeehaw. Okay, verse 11. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. So here we have uh, essentially wisdom and trust. Trusting that God is in control. So when things are good, that you can be joyful about it. And then when things aren't so good, that... We need to be thoughtful about it. And then verses 15 through 22, this is just brute honesty here. In my vain life, I have seen everything. This is Koheleth talking. There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Yes, God does right wrongs, and God is just, but in this world, the wicked do prosper. And righteous people do perish in their righteousness. 
this verse here is a really, really interesting verse to me. Be not overly righteous. Like, what? I thought we were to be righteous. It says, and do not make yourself too wise. You're like, what? I pray for wisdom all the time. And then he says, why should you destroy yourself? Over-righteous, over-wise. Why are we not to do this? Because then we become like Pharisees. Right? We, we have a lot of people like this today. You know, people, pundits out there all the time thinking that they are self-righteous people or overly wise and, and actually what they're doing is they're making it more burdensome for people who are actually doing good. That they think that they know more when they don't have the whole picture. You have like a glimpse of a picture. You don't have the whole picture. And here is God with the whole picture. And yet here we are telling people what to do or what they think is right or what is wise. And so we do have people who don't believe in modern medicine or our education system or that certain holidays are taboo so you can't celebrate those things. Or that, you know, you don't dress up for Halloween. Halloween's evil and whatever, like... Man, chill out. Or that, you know, you can't eat certain things or drink certain things. Or that you shouldn't read those types of books. Like, you shouldn't read Harry Potter. Those are really evil. You know, overly righteous, overly wise. And it's just like, chill out. It's a book. And if your kid's willing to read a book... Praise the Lord. And the, I mean, if they don't want to turn on a television or look at an iPad, praise God. Like, read books. We don't have to be overly righteous. You don't have to be overly wise. So then what, does that mean you're going to be overly wicked? No, it says, verse 17, Do not, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? So does this mean that we need to balance righteousness with wickedness and so we get a little bit of wickedness every once in a while like that's pretty cool we should we balance some wisdom with a little bit of foolishness because i like that idea too like we can be foolish sometimes no this is not like a scale this is not some balancing act here look at verse 18 it is good that you should take hold of this and from that withhold not your hand for the one who fears god shall come out from both of them. So this is not about balance. It's about fearing God and then avoiding these extremes. So then how do you know? How do you know how to avoid these extremes? How do you know when you're overly righteous or that I'm overly wise or that I'm wicked or I'm foolish? You ask. You pray. You ask God and God will answer you. Now, some more practical wisdom is given to us in verses 19 through 29. And then in verses 23 through 29, we, we read how a person can seek out all these different schemes of life. And then we're just going to look at verse 29 a little bit more closely, though. So verse 29, see, this alone I found, that God, ma God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. See, God, God made us to be upright people, to be good, to do justly, just, justly. 
to do righteousness. But then we have this knack of following things up, right? You do righteousness and just it's overly righteous. Be wise and it's overly wise. And it's not necessarily about what we know. So many times, you know, you, you talk to people and you talk to organizations and you ask them, oh, what's the answer to stuff? You know, what's the, and usually you'll get this answer. It's knowledge. It's education. We just need to educate people better. We just need to give them the knowledge. We've been the most educated group of people on the face of the planet. To ever exist. But are we any better? Because the knowledge and the education doesn't necessarily make us good. It doesn't make us good people. Foolishness is not about the lack of education or lack of knowledge or lack of intelligence. It's more about the rebellion we have towards God. That's foolishness. That you know something to be God's will and then you don't do it, then that's foolishness. And then there are people all around us who are really, really smart. The smartest people are here. You're looking at technology innovations, biotechnology innovations, the way the financial markets work. Like this is a hub of creativity. People from all over the world come here to explore these things, to go for entrepreneurship. And they all come here. It's the Bay Area. And they're really smart. But they're foolish. Sin is foolishness because it's rebellion against God, rebellion against the one who made us, who loves us. And God points us to how someone is truly found. And yet, here we are running away from it. That we are stuck under the sun. And our quest for meaning can only be found in God. It's not found under the sun. Under the sun is this hamster wheel, cycles of doing the same thing over and over again, waking up and going to work to make money, to go to sleep, to wake up and go to work, and go to sleep, wake up and go to work. And it's the same thing over and over again. And then where's the meaning behind all of that? And perhaps you can find a temporal meaning, but then where is the meaning for when you're not here anymore? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we are confronted with mortality. We are confronted with an end in sight because all of us know that we all have an end date in this physical life. And yet there's something about everlasting that we think about and that you have given us access to that we don't have to continue living without you under the sun, that you invite us to be part of what you have on, on a greater scale. God, um, I pray that you would give folks courage who lack it to move in your direction, to posture towards you. And I also pray, God, that we as a church 
um, don't hurry your process along, that we don't force our way, that we aren't overly righteous, that we aren't overly wise, that we realize you love us more than we can ever love one another. And so we ask for patience for those who have this tendency. God, thank you so much for um, Casey and Harbor House and the work that they are doing. Um, thank you for Bethany and other folks who are stepping in for Jane as she is on medical leave, who has actually helped us get a real glimpse of what is meaningful. And hopefully it challenges us in the things that we're doing and how we're living the life, our life that we're living. To be able to keep her in mind and how things can just change really fast. In Jesus' name, amen.